Stuart Coop is a contributor to Rhythms magazine and also a renowned author, broadcaster, and he's in Sydney at the moment, which is going through the sort of lockdown that Melbourne has been through on four occasions over the past 12 or 13 months. And he's going to join us to have a bit of a chat, and then we're going to be joined by Mark Mordew a little bit later on. So how are you going up there, Stuart? I'm a good, thank you, Brian. It is um, it is our turn for a lockdown in Sydney, which uh, is expected to be two weeks. But uh, like yourself, I'm a fairly solitary creature, so um, so what to see to see what happens uh, no, I'm doing good. Well, uh, all the best. It's At least it's only for two weeks. We've had it here for months in the past, so I know what you're going to be going through. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It uh, must be terrible for musicians. I was thinking that um, over the last couple of weeks, but before that, but it's, you know, people who rely on performing for their livelihood and uh, have been unable to do so for since March last year it must be terrible. Oh, look, it's it, it, it's a it's an awful situation for them, and I, and I think what we're seeing now is you know we've had that. Situation situation in the last couple of months where things have ostensibly opened up and then suddenly closed down again. So I, I think it's maybe even a little harder for musicians and, and crew people who are hoping to get some work because in the back of, you know, everyone goes, spends all this time organising their tours, planning where they're going to go. And then they're on, you know, tender hooks right up until the actual day, as as we saw with, with the, uh, the last attempt at running um, Blues. Fest, you know, it, it can be 24 hours out, and suddenly there's, you know, an, an unexpected lockdown. And you know, we've we've obviously got it now in Sydney, but you know, Brisbane's closed off. I saw on the news, you know, it is pretty tough for for all of our musician friends. Yeah, it certainly is. It's a it's a real pity. And uh, of course, if they call themselves a sporting event, they probably have a lot more luck performing, wouldn't they? Uh, look, there does seem to be a uh, a little bit of. Um, a discrepancy between the interpretations uh, that uh, people are having to put up with. Uh, that's <laughs> that's definitely for sure. But look, I guess, you know, I, it seems to me that, uh, you know, we, we do, you know, and I'm, of course, no expert, nor do I claim to be, but uh, it does seem that we are in a world where you would be optimistic to think that we're not looking at a, another 12 months of, of covid spot fires that will just you know flare up at any time anywhere and people are just gonna have to you know just come to terms with that it, it still feels to me i don't know about you brian but it still feels to me like we're a long way away from you know seeing anyone coming from overseas to perform um in this country you know i, I think you'd be optimistic to think that there will be international touring before the, the middle of uh, of 2022 and and particularly you know with the vaccination rate in australia you know limping along what did they say yesterday three percent of the australian population are fully vaccinated you know that's um that's that's they're pretty damning statistics uh, if that's if that is the case and you know that's that's going to be the principal thing that's going to hold us that's going to hold us back i think i would think for the next uh, 12 months you know it's tough times i notice a lot of events in america are happening like the Americana festivals going ahead in Nashville in September and the Jazz Fest lineup has been announced and they've still got thousands of cases a day and at least a few hundred deaths a day there, but they're, they're uh, charging on regardless. Yeah, look, I, there seemed a moment in time when I just looked at social media and it was only within the last four or five weeks, Brian, and, and suddenly I'm just seeing all of these 
North American artists announcing tours. It was almost like they figured someone had flicked a switch and and COVID was over. And look, I know they've got a pretty high um, vaccination rate, but yeah, the 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 amount of announcements. It's like, well, we're okay now. And and as you mentioned, you know, there are still thousands and thousands of cases, but the the general attitude is. Well, you know, we we toughed it out. We got through that. Now we're back on the road. You know, I'm seeing tour, you know, tour after tour after tour. I think I even saw some cruises, you know, yeah. that that have been announced for um for early next year. Did I see one with Wilco and a, and a whole bunch of people, or, yeah. or am I imagining that? No, um, but it uh, it does seem well either frightfully optimistic or just blatantly crazy i mean you know you're a regular visitor and have been for for longer than i probably care to think about visitor to new orleans jazz fest and with the the number of people that can go to that i mean what what could possibly go wrong you know i just go hello it sounds very very look i mean one hates to use the word irresponsible uh but the the chances of some bad bad things happening when you get that volume of people um in a confined space for an extended period of time it's got to be it's got to be pretty high and of course eminently frustrating for um for any australians who would like to be at uh, jazz fest or performing at americana or anything of that nature because I, I as i said i don't think we're going to be leaving the country anytime uh, before the 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 middle of next year at, at the earliest i would think it wouldn't have taken much to get me over there except as Someone pointed out, if you do get a case, of course, even though when you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID, you don't want to go into a hospital in America unless you've got a platinum American Express card. You don't want to get stuck over there in a hospital, do you? No, well, there's that side, you know, and and also I'm hearing still that, uh, you know, the flights to and from international countries, if you can get on one, uh, you know, I've I've heard uh, some particularly hit horrible stories about you know, Australians who are still paying you know fifteen or twenty grand to fly from um, from the United States to Australia. So yeah, you have got the cost of getting there. Then you've got your quarantine, probably almost inevitably when you get back. And uh, and yes, you don't want to spend any time, not even twenty four hours uh, in American in an American hospital. Well, let, let's Maybe. go into some other. Th- things that will put our trips overseas off for the moment um let, let's go on to talking about some albums you know i was thinking about my favorite albums of the year because i'm we all compile what half yearly lists you know a half year report but I, I i seem to find that most of my favorite albums are by people that i've interviewed this year so far and who who's who's on your list people what have like you got valerie june allison russell's got a great album liz stringer uh, Mick Thomas, I've got John Hyatt and Jerry Douglas, uh, Shannon McNally, whose album I really like, and um, Jackson Brown's album coming up, which I in- enjoy. I won't include that in the half-year list because it's not out for another few weeks. And uh, so there's there's the Rodney Crowell album's terrific too. That's out in a few weeks' time as well. Yeah, I mean, there there are, is a lot of, of really, uh, you know, pretty pretty amazing 
music around at the moment and, and certainly a lot of uh, musicians and songwriters have uh, have used the the covid period uh particularly well uh because the certainly you know people obviously haven't been out to tour but uh it seems like they they have been busy either writing or in home studios or or you know learning how to or getting better at uh, at recording remotely you know i mean i've been listening a lot to the the new umi uh, album, you know, the lives of others. And uh, it sounds to me as like the most cohesive band sounding record that you and I have made in quite some time without them being in the same space at the same time. You know, they have been all doing their individual parts in wherever they live and, and sending them in to be to be compiled. So, um, so you know, it's uh, it's showing that it can be done. Uh, for my end, um, the record that I've played most in the last six months is uh, Israel Nash's album. Topaz, to me, just seems to be this extremely wonderful collection of sort of languid cosmic country you know it owes a big debt i think to to neil young and a whole bunch of people like that but it's uh it's just got uh some some really really uh great songs and great atmosphere uh on it um what else have i been listening to i really like the black keys album you know i, I just think that uh it's it's a really great homage to you know southern stroke you know mississippi blues and look, there are people going, oh, yeah, you know, you can just listen to the originals. And of course, you can just listen to the originals. But I think there's there's a really great feel to the Black Keys record. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a bit of a predilection, as, as many people know, for cover versions. And, uh, you know, did I need to hear another Bob Dylan cover? Probably not. Um, there are several thousand of them at last count, but uh, you know, I've been particularly taken by Chrissy Hines' album of um, of Bob Dylan covers. You know, partly because Chrissy Hines' voice just uh, sounds still absolutely fantastic. You know, I like I like her selection of of songs, and you know, I like the way she handles the songs. So I've been listening to that. Um, I'm really digging the new album from Raining Sound, which has got sort of, yeah. you know, a little bit of garage rock, a little bit of country rock. Um, and uh, I haven't heard some of the albums that you mentioned. Like I, I've only heard one song off the, the Rodney Crow record. Um, though I'm a huge Rodney Crow fan, but I have heard all of the Flatlanders record. Yeah, that's and uh, I'm, yeah, no, I'm really, you know, look, you know, I, I'm a huge, uh, you know, what do you get when you put Butch Hancock and uh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore and Joe Eli together? You get you usually get something pretty great. And I, I'm particularly fond of, uh, of Jimmy Dale Gilmore's voice and could... Uh, could happily uh, listen to him sing just about anything. What else? And I've been always a bit of a cynic when it comes to these, you know, multi-album box set reissues going, oh God, you know, there was a reason all this stuff wasn't there in the first place. But uh, I've been spending a fair bit of time with the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Deja Vu box yeah, yeah, no, there's, look, there's some, yeah, there's some there's some good some good stuff in there that you know do, does to my ears sort of warrant you know being put out and 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 being listened to more than once. I think Brian, you're probably a bit like me. We get we get a lot of these box sets and we get really really excited and we go, this will be fantastic, this will be fantastic. And then we play all the extra stuff once and that's about it. Yeah. So, uh, but with Deja Vu, I'm you know there's there's a fair whack of stuff uh, there that I'm I'm. I'm thinking I'll keep going back to. One thing I'm worried about is I've been really enjoying the Van Morrison album, the latest record project, Volume 1. Musically, 
It's great. His voice sounds great. He's playing the sax better than ever, I think, if that's him on it playing. Uh, the only thing is everybody has absolutely slagged it off because of the lyrics, which I have to say are a bit dodgy and I do disagree with many of them. Uh, and he is the ultimate grumpy old man. But I, I wonder if you can separate the person and their views from the music they're making. The same with there's a couple of new Ryan Adams albums have been released over the last six months or so. One of them should have been released earlier on and he was involved in that sexual harassment uh, scandal. And somebody sent me an email saying, is that why you're not playing the new Ryan Adams album? Because you don't like what he did? And I said, I didn't even know it was out. So how do you separate the artists from their views? Uh, look, you know, it, it it's sometimes difficult, you know. I mean, and 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 it, look, let's let's take Van Morrison first up, you know. I mean, I before I well, you know, let's be honest, I haven't listened to this record yet, you know, and that and that's probably you know, and I'm I'm a big uh, Van Morrison fan, not obsessive, you know, but you know, I like you, I I love his voice, uh, I love a lot of his arrangements, but you know, the the advanced stuff that came out about the the Van album, you know, of course we. We'd heard that he was, you know, a, a COVID denier. I think would that be an accurate yeah, way to put it? So. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then, of course, he's, you know, he's having a go at social media and and and, and sort of probably some fairly puerile subjects. Uh, and so, look, I I did sort of go, well, have I got time? You know, and and as as of today, Brian, I haven't listened to it. Should I listen to it? Probably. Should I? Put some of those things out of my mind, probably. But you know, the, the, you you kind of go, oh yeah, I, I I shouldn't, I I should put out my head that you know, well, he, it's okay that he he's grumpy because he's been grumpy since birth, I think. But you know, do you start to think, oh God, here's this silly old van, you know, like maybe I'll just go back to the really great records. Ryan Adams, look, I had a listen to the album before last, uh, and I did play some some things on the radio which I thought were were pretty good look that whole thing about you know ryan um and the accusations of completely inappropriate behavior i don't know that he he has been charged because there was an investigation that looked like it was going to become pretty serious now obviously from what i've read um you know in the new york times and everything like that you know the the behavior does sound fairly reprehensible does that mean that we never listen to Ryan Adams again. You know, it's it, it's it's such a huge, huge debate. You know, there there is an attitude amongst a lot of people, and and certainly you know within elements of the Australian media that I'm aware of. You know, we, we don't play Ryan Adams anymore. You know, mm. that's you know, it, it's the the whole cancel culture. You know, is is there the ability in in our day and age for um for someone to you know admit their mistakes and uh, and make good you know having said that i don't think i've seen anything from ryan adams where uh, and i could be doing ryan a disservice here where you know he said well you know what i did then was was inappropriate and not good behavior um and i'm taking steps to change my behavior do we just not listen to ryan adams do we not listen to the smith street band you know because of of what went down 
there, you know, it's 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 a really tough one, and uh, and 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 not so much for any other reason except that you you know people say or you 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 can you you know just listen to the music you know ignore the behavior um and that's that's really difficult once you know about the behavior having said that if we stop listening to popular music because of bad behavior by its creators or if we stopped going to movies because of bad behavior by actors and directors or if we stopped going to art galleries because of bad behavior by artists i'm not sure we'd be left with a lot you know do, do, do you know i mean john lennon for instance you know was involved in some you know not great behavior you know the, the do we stop do we stop listening to to led zeppelin do we stop I guess that's the thing. I mean, bad behavior was not invented with with me too. You know, b- bad, reprehensible in some cases and in many cases, and and pretty horrible behavior has been around for a very, yes. very, very long time. It just, you know, what what hasn't been around for a long time is is the social media and the ability, you know, and 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 look, people's awareness, of course, of it, but also the the way that this this can be called out and uh, and travel so so quickly and so you know, and I sound like I'm I'm being an apologist for something I'm not. I mean, bad behaviour should be stopped, should be curtailed, but you know, it it, it is not something that has has come along in the last two or three years and um, you know we, we we have a history of popular and non-popular culture of you know very very famous musicians and filmmakers and actors you know who have, have been jailed have been caught up in in you know activities that um, that are less than uh, less than salubrious so if we're going to say no we don't listen to Ryan Adams because he was involved in bad behavior which I believe he was then you know one one really needs to if you're going to follow that argument, one really needs to be very consistent and go back through, you know, all of one's listening. And if we're going to take out, you know, Ryan Adams, taking out a whole bunch of iconic um, music figures, uh, you know, over a very long period of time. I've reviewed the Van Morrison album. I've said it's a great album to listen to from another room. If you don't listen to the lyrics too carefully. And speaking of another room, I think Mark Mordew's with us. Hi, Mark. Hey, how are you? Hey, thanks for joining us and congratulations right. on on the book, which is getting a great reception around the world, which must be very pleasing. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, It feels a bit strange. I mean, you know, I mean, at age 61, I, I, I have this faint sense of being an overnight success. It's really like, you know, that thing like uh, t- 10 years in the making and bang. Stuart, you would be sort of used to this publishing a book and then sort of sitting back waiting to read what people say. I don't know how much notice you you take of it, but it, it would be a bit nerve wracking, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, look, it's um, you, you try and go, ah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Your critics, ha, who cares? Who cares is uh, some less than than you know complimentary uh, reviews. Look, of course it stings. You know, of course it uh, it hurts uh, when when you cop. 
you know, I, I've been I've been very lucky, says he, touching wood, with the, with the way my books have been received, and and Mark, of course, uh, you know, is ha- is having a terrific run with with his book. But um, no, look, you you do do take them seriously, you know. Do they impact all that much on on sales? You know, these days, I'm I'm not so sure. You know, like whether you know a bad review in a in a major newspaper you know really impacts on on sales but you know any any publication is it's like you know you know we want people to like you know you want people to like off the record i want people to like my radio shows you know you you sit back and you go okay bring it on but please be gentle don't don't hurt don't hurt uh, and mark yeah you you've had have you had any you've had any bad ones i think he has <laughs> I've, had, uh, I've had two uh negative reviews and that's been it i mean i i, I mean it's it's hard to to, to complain, although I do, <laughs> I've had, because I've had so many uh, raves and so much incredible uh, personal correspondence from people out of the blue that I've really appreciated as well, in, you know, including Nick himself. So, but the negative reviews, I think particularly with an artist like Nick Cave, and there's this sense of uh, of ownership of the artist, and ultimately, it probably wouldn't matter what you wrote because the person who does the, the bad review knows that they know better. I mean, yeah, constructive. I've had a couple of reviews that were a little bit mixed, but but largely positive, and they tended to to be constructive criticisms that I, I felt were pretty justified. But the usually the demolition demolition jobs or, or the ones that are meant to put a spear in your heart. There's something else kind of going on, and, and it's, it's as much to do with the the, the the person writing it as anything to do with you. And it probably wouldn't matter that much what you did. Hey, um, look, after you spend ten years on a writing a book though you 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 do want some positive reviews it was a bit a bit of an epic epic project wasn't it yeah i mean you know it's it's said 10 years i mean the reality is that writing boy on fire the young nick cave there's probably about you know actually you know, more or less five years of the writing of it with other work on and then five very messy years of life you know relationship breakup moving house about half a dozen times you know uh, transient employment you know major financial difficulties so you, you it's not like i'm just you know sitting at the the office sort of trying to puzzle out the the great existential problem of how to reflect on Nick. You know, my own life's the the, the greater obstacle and the, the the bigger interest for me. And you know, essentially, I kind of powered into it, and then it all kind of fell apart because the original publishers wanted a complete A to Z biography of Nick's life, and I just couldn't do that in one volume. And um, after things kind of kind of fell to pieces, there were a few lost years there, and then I got back on the horse about two, well, two years ago now, less than two years ago, to pull what I already had together and additional framing and just a fantastic editing process with Harper Collins, who just appreciated what I'd done and understood it and knew what I wanted to do in terms of a portrait of the artist as a young man and it all actually came together very fast hey um Stuart feel free to butt in but I think you'd agree uh, that the writing is exceptional isn't it it's almost poetic at times oh yeah look I mean I think Mark uh, has done a, a fantastic job with with just you know taking that period of, of Nick's life and, and making it you know incredibly insightful and and telling us much more about you know Nick cave than just Nick up to you know his early 20s and also 
also just you know weaving in a whole bunch of um of of extra stuff you know so no i uh, i think it uh it's it's well deserving of uh of the reviews that it's uh that it's been uh that it's been getting so, uh, thanks yeah. Stuart. you know um i was thinking about parallels between my book on on nick cave and and yours on paul kelly and obviously you know just off the top of my head along with don walker they're probably the the the, the major songwriters of the of the last half a century now that we're, we're getting on in years a bit and i mean there are many other figures as well of course but, but they, they definitely leap to mind and um but apart from the obvious parallels of you know paul and, and nick basically kind of rising up either side of the yarra river as, as artists you know at more or less the same time with a bit of overlap i just thought our, our both of our books really kind of demonstrate the, the power of research and interviews and and kind of i i believe show off our, our skills as both writers but also as reporters you know like i can see that we've done real hard good yards you know speaking to lots of people and 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 not just being dependent on our own opinions basically but but trying to make use of that reporting to to to, to tell a, a good story yeah i mean i think one of the uh the the strengths of these of our books is as you say mark i mean we people you know i mean both both books could have been uh, of course you know done a lot easier with uh, auntie google and uh and, and and uncle wikipedia you know as many many music biographies are but uh, i think the, yes what we bring to both books are uh, we did talk to an enormous number of people and, and that also I think that we weren't totally neither of us were beholden to our subject uh, which I think is is one of the the qualities I mean I, I certainly never want to write you know an authorized uh, biography and uh, and also that the story you know in your case and very definitely in, in the Paul Kelly who were first-hand participants in recording sessions touring just general life experience and and so you know they, they had they had that ability to observe you in my case, you know, Paul Kelly as a creative individual and were able to give insights into what he is is like in, in that respect. So uh, so I think absolutely anyone you can find has got some bit of information about the subject that uh, that you're dealing with. And, and of course, you know, that means that, uh, you know, these these books are not knocked off in, um, you know, in a couple of months. You know, there, there is a long period of of research and working out exactly what's happening with with the story you know in my case I find that the writing comparatively easy it's the piecing together of all the information and and the you know as as you would have found Mark uh, memories that go back 40 and 50 years can be remarkably inconsistent <laughs> and uh, I certainly know that I spent a lot of time trying to unravel whether people's memories of particular incidents and particular times were in any way accurate or purely just a, a figment of uh, of their imagination and having been told so many times at dinner parties and in the front bar of pubs uh, you know I found in some cases you know individuals actually believed events that uh, had taken place when in fact uh, there was no way that these events could have occurred and I imagine you had a similar experience yeah well it's, it's interesting to hear you talk because I, I could empathize with uh, a lot of that I mean particularly the the pattern making uh, process of, of putting all the information together and telling a story and I know when I lived in dread of all the people that spend their whole lives online, like the, the crazed fans who who spotlight the smallest detail 
and then seek to sort of attack you for that error. And I, I had a couple of those experiences, fortunately, where I ended up being right. But I'm, I know there are those sort of little little cracks you know, of detail here and there, nothing major. But it's one thing to sort of sit online and, and, and spend a whole day researching whether someone had a, a cup of tea in Fitzroy on a Thursday or a Tuesday in January 1981 and, you know, whether or not that they said you or yar in a lyric you know like these kind of things and go aha i've got you uh versus actually putting together you know you know know, hundreds of interviews and thousands of little bits of information and and having it make sense having it be as accurate as possible and having it be entertaining to people who aren't those sort of you know devoted fans as well as try to sort of please the devoted fans too so it's certainly the pattern making that that's the important the storytelling that's the important part of the the process for sure well it's a fantastic read mark and did i read right is is there a second volume on the way or have you not not even thinking about that what's what's the story Uh, i balked i balked at that and and kind of held off making a a decision till this book had, had come out and indeed i was probably not really that into a, a, a follow through because this because a boy on fire was just so uh you know emotionally expensive and life traumatic for me um and uh but I, i've decided because it's it's you know i've have had so many raves and and because i've still got a wealth of material from and it all all came un, unstuck I, that i can easily write a second volume about uh the birthday party in london and nick cave's sort of you know, definition of his solo career with the Bad Seeds in Berlin and Sao Paulo as well, for that matter. You know, I've got a lot of that stuff. And I I feel I owe something to all those people I spoke to who must be wondering why I've written. I spent hours speaking to this guy and he writes a book about Nick as a kid. You know, where am I? So I've got a stack of stuff. And I feel uh, more able and at ease to approach uh, a defined zone of time like that, that sort of you know, begins in London and ends in Berlin, say, so Nick in London and Berlin, rather than once again kind of dive into something where it's just endless and Nick is making, is still alive and still going through all kinds of dramas and change and still creating and, you know, not only making albums, but writing books, films, you know, opening his own shop, running his own agony aunt, come sort of, you know, spiritual guidance website. It's, you know, I mean, he's endlessly creative and he, you know, generally with Nick, you know, his, his work is, uh, the worst of his work is good and he's often great. So, you know, it's an exhausting um, sort of resume to, to cover. So to have it kind of finite, to do basically Nick Cave, London and Berlin feels bite-sized enough for me to to achieve. So, yeah, I'd like to do a volume two and I'd like to cover those zones. Well, Clinton Halen's just published volume one of his trilogy on Bob Dylan. Maybe there'll be a trilogy on Nick Cave then. Well, I'd I'd, I'd actually, I'd be really interested to read that because I've I've read uh, the other Clinton Halen books on Dylan there. I've forgotten the title of it. And then he did an updated version where he added a few more albums. And and I, I noticed uh, in the updated version, Stuart, do you, what's the name of that, that, that the, the previous biography that, that Halen did? 
Do you remember? Behind the shades, if we're talking Clinton Hale. Oh, yeah, behind the shades. That's behind it. Behind the shades. Yeah. So, so, so there was the original Behind the Shades by Clinton Hale, which I which I, I really loved. You know, uh, you know, just because it was just so encyclopedic. But I noticed in the updated version, and this is I don't know how long ago now that he updated, at least a decade, that a, a sort of bitterness had crept into the way he wrote about Dylan. Um, uh, and it seemed to me there was a resentment that Dylan wouldn't cooperate with him, and I wondered if that was a would uh, you, you you may obviously have read the 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 new one. I just wondered if that resentment might might colour what Halen would do, even with all the the uh, access to to documentary material that he's got. Well, maybe because he f- spends the first chapter slagging off every other almost every other biographer of Dylan. Yeah, yeah that, that that put me immediately. I mean, I went and bought that uh, the the new uh, thinking thinking. Oh yeah, look, this is promising all this new information, and and Halen's the one who's got access to to everything in Tulsa, and this is going to be you know something that I need to read. And and like you, Brian, I it arrived, and I and I started. I had a look through the intro, and, and absolutely, I I just went, oh god, you know, I, I I really recoiled. I mean, I haven't gone back to it yet because. I went, you know, if, if he's going to spend all of this time with this sort of snooty, um, you know, condescending and patronising approach, you know, I, I met Clinton Hale and he stayed with me for a couple of days in Blackheath back in the 90s when he was working on his book on the history of bootlegs. And yeah, and 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 then I found him just a little bit painful, but certainly the, the introduction to this new Dylan book, I'm going, oh golly, you know, can we have just a little bit of grace and, you know, okay, you know, don't, you don't need to tell us that everyone else's book is garbage compared to yours exactly. you know, why don't you just make yours really great and then you know we're not, we're not silly uh we've just forked out 50 bucks for another version of, by you of bob dylan's life story you know give us give us the you know the the credence that you know we can we can work out that in fact clinton you are the greatest biography of, of biographer of bob dylan uh without you know spelling it out in the first 15 pages i'm gonna have to leave it there because i've run out of time so thanks mark for your time and congratulations on the book that's boy on fire the young nick cave by mark moore and thanks Stuart, also for your time let's uh, do it in another couple of weeks and we'll get a special guest together i'm brian wise editor of rhythms bidding you farewell and uh, you can get the latest issue of the magazine now you can go online at rhythms.com.au and see the cover there and you can subscribe or you can read some of the online articles this month's cover story on the print edition is Yola, written by Steve Bell. And we also have features on Jackson Brown, John Hyatt and Jerry Douglas, Jason Isbell, Tracy Thorne by Bernard Zool, a UMI, a feature on their latest album by Ian McFarlane, as well as articles on Jeb Carwell, Ron Pino, Hussey Hicks, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Bill Jackson, Andy McGarvey. And there's an article by Sam Fell on Alligator Records' 50th anniversary in which he interviewed the founder of the label, Bruce Iglau, so all in rhythms. And of course, you can get the download card if you become a subscriber. So check it out, rhythms.com.au. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another Rhythms podcast special interview. And Stuart Coop will join me in a fortnight's time and we'll have a chat about music and see what we've been listening to, watching and reading. (laughs) 